0: for the message this morning. I wasn't sure if there was enough time, if it was time to end, but I realized there was no, no more line for the sign-up, so everyone had a t- time to sign up for everything they want to sign up for, so I figured that was enough time. All right. Um, as Pastor Chris is away this morning, he's asked me to share um, this morning, so I ask you to give me your attention as I share something from the Lord. Lord, I pray you would bless This time we have together, I pray that you would bless the word that we're going to open and look at, the scripture, and I also pray that you would open our hearts up to receive what you have to say to us. In your name, amen. Faith. The book of Hebrews tells us that faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence for things that are unseen. And we use this word faith to refer to our belief in God but it's so much more than just belief. Real faith is what happens when you have such a strong conviction about something that what you believe influences what you do. Real faith is what influences what you do. We're going to look at some people of faith, and uh, one of the best places in the Bible to go and look at people of faith is Hebrews chapter 11. It's a whole chapter in the Bible devoted to listing off some of the great men and women of faith and some of the things that they accomplished. And there's some great stories in there, stories that are an encouragement. They're an inspiration to me when I read them and I think, wow, what they did and how they, the faith they had, what they believed God for, it's awesome. But their stories are also a little bit of a challenge to us as well to think, okay, this is is how people of faith behave. This is how people of faith act. I want to be like that. I want to act like that. And even though the stories that are given in the book of Hebrews happened thousands of years ago, they happened in a totally different time and culture, they still have lessons that are very important for us today. These stories that happened thousands of years ago can help you know what to do, the decisions you need to make, the things you'll do on Monday morning can be influenced by by these people of faith, these heroes. So we're going to look at a story and discuss the lesson there. And the question I want you to ask yourself is what does it mean for us to be people of faith? What does that mean for us? This morning, we're going to look at the story of Noah. If you, uh, if, you, if you open up Hebrews 11, it's verse 7. is kind of where it starts talking about Noah. In fact, there's only one verse there. And it's a story you all know pretty well, I'm assuming. Uh, you know, God tells him to build a boat. He builds a boat. Everything, you know, there's a flood, but he makes it. So I just summarized it. It's a story you know well, but here's the thing. When I think about Noah's faith, one word comes to my mind, obedience. No, The lesson of Noah's story is the reward of obedience. And every time I read the story about the flood and the ark and the animals, I think, I hope to God that I'm as obedient as Noah. I hope to God I can, I can respond as quickly as he did. Gladys Allward was a missionary to China in the uh, 1900s. She was born in London. She grew up in a Christian uh, family. They attended an Anglican church there in London. And though she was raised in a good Christian home uh, when she was a teenager, and when she started to leave home to go to work, she kind of drifted away from her faith. And maybe some of you have experienced something similar to that, or you know people who grew up in a Christian home, but as they left home, kind of started to drift away, and that's kind of where she was at. And uh, one day, as um, as she was a young adult, somewhat by accident, actually, she didn't mean to go, but she was taken to this church service, and she found herself in a church service she wasn't planning to be in. And there was a young man speaking at that service, and he started to talk about missions and the call that God had on Christians to serve as missionaries. And when she heard that call, she felt something inside of her. And though she wasn't really living her life for the Lord at that moment, God put a call in her heart, and she felt a tug to something. She didn't know what it was, but she recognized, something drawing me right now. So, but with that thought in mind, she didn't pursue anything. She got a job. She was working as a maid, um, not a very high-paid job. She was not making a lot of money, but she was just working and getting by. Several years later, Gladys um, reads this magazine, And this magazine is talking about the country of China, which had been closed off, but was beginning to be opened up, and the things they were learning about this country of China. And so she read in this magazine that in China, there are millions and millions of people who are totally unreached, millions of Chinese people who have never heard the Bible, who have never heard the gospel, who don't know who Jesus is, that nobody is reaching out to it. And when she heard this, her heart was broken. These millions of people who are going to live and die and never even have a chance. When she heard that, she thought, somebody has to go. Somebody has to do something. Somebody has to go to these Chinese people. And God began to put it on her heart that she should be the one to go. So um, the first thing that Gladys did was she applied to serve with what was called the China Inland Mission. It was a missions group that specifically sent missionaries to to China. So she applied to work there. She was denied because of her, um, I guess she had a very poor school record and she took some tests and she failed the tests and they thought she wasn't educated enough and she would have a very difficult time learning Chinese. In fact, they said she would probably never be able to learn Chinese and so they weren't going to support her. They would not send her to China. But she wouldn't give up. She knew that God had called her to these people and she knew. So she kept looking into it, talking to people, Is there any way I can get to China. So... In her looking around, she heard about a lady named Jeannie Lawson, who was a 73-year-old Scottish woman who was serving in the city of Yangchen, China. And she was getting a little bit older, and she needed an assistant. So Gladys wrote her and said, I would like to come and serve. And Mrs. Lawson said, all right. And she invited her to come and serve with her. And she said, if you can come, then you can come serve with me, but I don't have any money. And Gladys didn't have any money. So she said, if you can get to China, there's a place you can serve. But there's no money for you to get here. And she, like I said, she was working as a maid, not making very much money, just enough to get by. So she couldn't pay. And uh, normally in those days to get from, uh, from like a place like London, England, to China, you would take a boat. But she did not have enough money to get a boat. And there was no way she was going to be able to save that kind of money. So she, she worked hard for a while and saved every penny she could, and she bought a train ticket from London to China. And though it was a much longer ride, and it was a very, very dangerous ride in those days, um, that's how she got there. And when she finally got to China, she very, very quickly fell in love with the people of China. When she arrived there, she realized this is where God was calling her to serve. And God gave her some just absolutely remarkable opportunities to share the gospel. They had, uh, her and Miss Lawson had an inn where travelers would stop and they would share the gospel as they came on their way through. Um, At one point, she was actually hired by the Chinese government as an inspector, which allowed her to travel the countryside and share the gospel in all kinds of places that nobody had ever been before. Um, And that's not to say that her time in China wasn't full of difficulty, because there were definitely some really um, sketchy situations. In fact, one of the stories that Gladys Allward is most well known for is uh, this one. At one point, when the city of Yang was being attacked by Chinese, she led a group of almost a hundred orphans on a five-week journey through the mountains uh, to a mountainous region of China to a safe city nearby. Can you imagine leading almost a hundred orphan children through the mountains for five weeks? Um, and it's just a, a, a demonstration of the boldness and the courage that she had. But what really impressed me when I read Gladys' story um, wasn't as much the amazing things that she did and the great stories she had, but what really impressed me is her response to the call. She was obedient to the, to the burden that God had placed on her, on her heart. And even though you can see in her story that she wasn't well-educated, She was not well off, did not have a lot of money. She didn't have any experience in ministry or missions or anything like that. But she knew that God was calling her, and she refused to be discouraged. Even when the experts said, you'll never make it in China, she ignored that, and she listened to the call of God that was on her life. So I tell you Gladys' story this morning because it's a great example of my main point, which is this. People of God are crazy obedient. People of God are crazy obedient. Or another way to say it would be like this. People of God obey him when it seems like a crazy thing to do. When it would be crazy, they still obey. Um, And if you're going to talk about people who are crazy obedient to God, Noah, I think, is a perfect example of that. You can open up your Bibles to Hebrews 11, verse 7. If you're not already there, you can turn there. Uh, And Like I said, there's one verse there that talks about, talks about Noah, which I kind of think is a little unfair as a side note. This guy is obedient to God, builds a gigantic boat, and arguably saves it, his, himself, his entire family, and every animal and every human being that's ever been alive since that moment. And he gets one verse in the book of Hebrews. When you compare the number of verses that Abraham got, I think that's not really fair. But anyways, I didn't write it. So, it starts off in verse 7. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things to come. And the, the, what I, one of the lessons I get out of here is that Noah's um, his obedience begins uh, as the result of a divine warning. You know, God came to him and spoke to him and said, there's going to be a flood coming. Build a boat. Now, I don't know... How Noah heard God's voice was it an audible voice like Noah, or was it like just that kind of warm, fuzzy feeling inside? I think I should build a boat, or I mean, I don't know. Was it a little bird that came over and told him? I don't know how he knew, but somehow he felt like God had told him to build a boat that there was a, that there was a flood coming. And honestly, it's kind of easy at this moment to think, you know what? His faith is not that impressive because. If God told me there was going to be a worldwide flood that was going to wipe out mankind, I'd start building a boat, you know? But you've got to think that uh, it would be dishonest of us to say that we haven't also received warnings from God about things that are not yet seen. The Bible is full of warnings and instructions. It tells us in many places of things that are coming, things that will happen. And it's up to us if we're going to respond in obedience to those things. But here's what's great about Noah. He didn't just hear this warning. He followed through. The dude built an ark. And now, that had to have been a costly endeavor for him. It must have taken him a lot of money and a lot of time and a lot of hard work to build this boat. Uh, Some commentators suggest that it probably took somewhere around 100 years for him to build this boat. Now, on a project that lasts A hundred years, I gotta imagine at some point that they ran out of money. Or they had disagreements with his employees. At some point in a hundred-year project, I gotta believe he got discouraged. Okay, I'm 30, I'm 31 years old, I've run out of money, I've had disagreements, I've been discouraged. Noah's been doing this project for almost a hundred years. There's gotta be moments where he said, you know, think about it like this, okay? God comes to him and says, hey, storm's coming, build a boat. So he starts building. He builds for 50 years, no rain. You think you ever started to wonder, like, did I understand, hear him right? Maybe he builds to 75 years, and then he thinks, is that storm still coming? Did God forget about it? Did it happen and I missed it? Like, you know? But he he didn't. I mean, the Bible doesn't tell us that. He built the boat. He followed through. And I believe that the reason that Noah's obedience to God was so crazy. He was so crazy obedient to God's instructions is because of the close relationship that he had with the Lord. And I want to show you that. Because real faith begins with trust. Real faith is not something you talk yourself into or you force yourself into doing. Real faith is built on trusting God. Noah's story actually begins in Genesis chapter 6. And you don't have to turn to Genesis um, if you'll trust me to retell it accurately, you don't have to flip there. But in Genesis chapter 6 and 7, that's where you find the story of Noah and the flood. Uh, and one of the first things it says about Noah, this is, this is important I think, it says Noah walked with God. Before the flood, before the boat, he walked with God. It says that he was a just man. He was perfect in what he did. And he found favor in God's, in God's eyes because he walked with him. So this conversation that Noah had with God about how to build a boat, that's not the first conversation that him and God had had. This was a man who had built a relationship with the Lord. His crazy obedience was born out of close relationship. He wasn't forced to obey God. God didn't blackmail him or intimidate him, or twist his arm into building a boat. He gave him the warning and the instructions, and Noah said, I know this God. I trust this God. He does what he says he will do. He follows through on his word. And if he said it, then I'm going to respond in obedience to it. So before we get all worked up about our own obedience to God, it, it's easy to think like, wow, I, you know, I haven't been quite as crazy obedient as I, would, you know, I should have been. Before we get too uh, discouraged with ourselves or focused on ourselves about our own obedience, let's begin by determining in our hearts that we're going to trust God. In Hebrews 7, that's where we're looking right now, it it talks about Noah, and it talks about um, his act of faith. But in the verse prior to that, it says something really, really important that I want you guys to catch. In verse 6 of Hebrews 11, it says, Without faith it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible. That's kind of a bold statement. If you really think through what that means, it's actually kind of a scary thing to say. Without faith, you could never please God. But But I don't think the verse is saying that those who have weak faith or those who struggle with doubt are unpleasing to God, that God is upset or angry with those kinds of people. I think what the verse is telling us is that if you don't have a basic trust in the goodness of God, then you have no reason to please Him. If you don't believe that God exists, and you don't believe that He is good enough to reward your efforts, then why would you even try to please Him? Um, One author put it this way. He said that faith is not as much about our faithfulness as it is about our trust in God's faithfulness. The faith that pleases God is simply a uh, desperate trust in him. Let me try to explain it like this, okay? Um, without, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without a little bit of trust, it's impossible to cross a bridge. Every time you cross a bridge, whether you're driving across it or walking across it, every time you cross a bridge, you're putting a little bit of trust in the structure and the design and the build of that bridge. You're assuming that this should be able to hold me and the weight of the vehicle that I'm driving. Maybe you don't think it through, but you wouldn't cross it if you thought that I would. It actually reminds me of something. When I was a teenager, uh, a couple of friends of mine, we like to go to Letchworth State Park. And at Letchworth, there's this train trestle bridge. I don't know if you guys are familiar with it, but it's up like, uh, uh, further up the river up where the Upper Falls are, there's this big train trestle bridge that crosses up there. And so me and some friends, uh, would go up there, probably nobody that you guys would know, but some friends that I had back then, um, we'd go up there, and they loved to walk out on this train, trestle Bridge. I think you weren't supposed to go up there, but they'd go up on that thing. And me personally, I was a little bit nervous, um, to put it lightly, about heights. And I didn't really want to be up there. I never would have gone there up on my own, but of course when you're a young man and all the other guys are doing it, you got to do it, Right? So I'm, like, kind of, like, trying to play cool, but, like, kind of timidly walking out up on this bridge. And so there's, like, these, like, wooden planks or boards or, or railroad ties, or whatever they are, that you walk on out on the bridge, okay? And we get out there, and you can, like, literally, you can look down between them, and you can see the water. You can see the waterfalls. You could see, like, if I fall, I'm going to die. But everybody else is pretending like they can't see this. So I'm, like, holding onto the railing, like, just trying, trying to play cool. And then this, like, I, I'm not making this up. This is absolute truth. We're on the bridge, and I'm nervous, and a train comes. And a train crosses the bridge while I'm on. I'm, and I'm not really, I'm like on like maybe the first quarter of it or whatever. And like the bridge is shaking, and I'm like, oh, dear God, we're going to die. My friends are like skipping along over there. So I didn't really have faith that that bridge was going to hold me. I mean, yeah, it's holding a, a you know, train, but I don't know if it could hold me and the train. I'm getting kind of nervous here. I got off that bridge as, as quickly as I could. Um... Because when you cross a bridge, you put faith in that bridge that it's going to hold you. And here's the thing. The thought I want you to get is your belief in the bridge, your faith in the bridge is not what holds it up. Not like somehow if I believe hard enough, it's going to hold the bridge in the air. That's not what happens. But your belief is what allows you to walk over it because you wouldn't walk over if you thought it would fall, right? And the same thing is true of our relationship with God. Your faith, your belief in him, is not what makes him real. Your belief in him is not what makes him happy with you. Your belief is simply what allows you to say, you know what? I believe he is God. I believe he is good. I believe that he is a rewarder of those who come to him, so I'm going to approach him. Your faith is what opens the door for you to walk towards him, and it's those steps towards him that bring him so much joy. It's that step of faith, that step, um, whatever, if it's obedience, or whether it's time with him, those are the things that really bring joy to him. I told you before about Gladys Allward. Clearly a woman who trusted in God. Let me tell you this story. At one point, she had lived in uh, the city of Yangchen for some time. She would be become kind of well-known in that city. She was a foreigner in a, you know, this inland Chinese city. She's kind of well-known. At one point, uh, there was a prison in Yangchen, and there was a violent riot that broke out among the prisoners. In fact, there was one prisoner who had an ax, and he was murdering people with an ax and cutting off limbs and stuff like that. And so the mayor of the city, or whatever, he says, oh my goodness, there's a violent riot. Go get the, Chinese, go get the missionary. Go get the British, Chinese, the British woman. And, she's, and so they call her to come. And he says, go stop the riot. And she was probably thinking what you and I are both thinking. Like, why in the world would you send her, send the guards in, right? And she said to the mayor, why are you sending me in here? And this is what he said. It's recorded what he said to her. He said, you have been saying that your God takes care of you. You are saying your God will protect you so you can go in there. And she must have believed that that was true because she went into the prison. And the story is that there was a guy there with an axe killing people. And she walked right up to this guy, and she said, give me the axe. And he did. And she was able to calm him down, take care of the sick or the hurting, and calm the situation down. And she actually talked with the prisoners and the guards about why there was a riot and helped improve some of the conditions there. But Gladys Allward would have been a fool... To walk into a prison riot if she didn't genuinely believe that God was going to take care of her. She must have really trusted that God was going to go before her. So, what about you? Do you trust God? Do you trust God enough to walk into a Chinese prison riot? Hopefully, you never have to actually answer that question. But ask yourself do I trust God? And I think one good way to gauge your trust is how do you handle stress? Now, me personally, when I I get stressed out, which I'm not the kind of person, just by my nature, I'm not the kind of person who gets stressed out um, often. Sometimes that's a blessing, sometimes that can be a curse, but I usually don't overthink things too much. But when I do get stressed out, it shows me where my trust in God is lacking. Like, let's say, for instance, I get sick. I don't know how you guys are, but like, Um, I can be pretty tough until I start feeling sick and then suddenly it's like, oh my gosh, the world is ending. Um, But like you start getting sick with something and you don't know what it is and you don't know what's going to happen and your brain starts getting, you start getting fearful. You start thinking like, what's the worst case scenario? Like, what if this never goes away? What if this turns into something worse? Maybe I spent too much time on WebMD, but my brain is starting to connect all the other possible diseases that this could be. And I get really worried. Or or if someone else in your family, same thing. Like, you know, why are they still sick? It's been so long. And you realize that exposes places where you lack trust in God. If I really believed that God was our healer and he could heal any disease and he could fix any problem, then wouldn't I spend my time in prayer asking him to heal instead of worrying and just dwelling on it? And when, Now, when I see the places where my trust is lacking, I know the problem is not with God. I know the problem is with me. It's not like somehow he's let me down and so I have a good reason to trust him. It's just I'm forgetful and I need to remind myself. And that's what you need to do. When you find your trust is lacking, you remind yourself about how good God is. You remind yourself about the kind of God that we've put our faith in. Our God, my God, is a God who dries up a sea so an entire nation can walk through it. Can't tell me he can't heal a cold or a sickness. My God is the God who literally sent food down from the sky to the people who are hungry. You tell me he can't provide for me when when we need money? My God is the God who not only made everybody who lives, but he has healed broken bones, he has opened blind eyes, he's put, um, you know, he's opened mouths of people who were were mute and couldn't speak. My God is a God who heals. My God is a God who provides. And it's foolish of me to get worried when some small difficulty happens when I have a relationship with a God like this. My God is a God who can be trusted. And that's the kind of trust that faith begins with. But it doesn't end there. Because faith begins with trust, but trust leads to obedience. In fact, it leads to crazy obedience, which is what we're talking about today. So, back to Noah. by faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, was moved with godly fear, and he prepared an ark. The verse tells us right after it says he was divinely warned, it says he was moved. He moved. He took an action. He didn't just say, I believe that's true. He responded to it. He didn't just believe in God. He was willing to do whatever God instructed. And Noah's faith influenced his practice. It influenced his life, and that is why Noah was able to be a perfect man in a generation of people that were wicked and godless. That's why Noah was the man who heard God's voice, who heard God's warning and obeyed. That's why Noah built a giant boat in the middle of the desert, because he was moved by God's instruction. And Noah's obedience really was, it was pretty crazy when you think about it. So, God tells him to build a boat, and actually God gives him really specific instructions about the dimensions of the boat he's going to build. The Bible says, uh, I think it was 300 cubits in length, 50 cubits in width, and 30 cubits in height, which is roughly 450 feet long by 75 feet wide. Now, I don't know about you guys, I'm the kind of person who has trouble like visualizing dimensions like that, especially bigger numbers like that, it's hard to, to visualize that is, so I tried to figure out what that would be, okay? And I know this is true because I looked it up on Google, but... If you stand um, in the middle of the sanctuary right about here, and you look out this window, okay? And in this window here, if you can see it or you can imagine it, there's a field right here. And at the end of the field is where we mow. And at the end of the field, there's a brush. And that brush line is about 450 feet from here, okay? So if you can see it, you can envision it. If not, you can look at it when you leave today. But that's about how far 450 feet is from here. So that's how big, that's how long this boat, no, built was. This is a huge, huge boat. Actually, I was looking for, I was on Google, like kind of measuring distances. I was looking to show you guys roughly how how big this boat is. And so one thing I thought of was I looked at like uh, Walmart down here. I thought, you know, the face of Walmart. That's pretty long. Maybe that's 450 feet, but it's not though. It's only 400. So it's longer than the front of Walmart. That's how big this boat is. It's a huge boat. Um, And, you know, it's easy for a lot of us to picture um, Noah and his boat in, like, Sunday school terms. I know I'm guilty of that. And you think of, like, this boat, and there's these cute little animals. They're hanging out, and they're splashing in the water, and there's a rainbow over top, and it's, they're all having fun. There's, like, a lion and, you know, a, a zebra, and they're all having fun on there. That's not what it was like, okay? <laughs> think about it. It's not what it was like. So just try for a minute. I know we have no idea what it was really like, but try to picture with me. What this boat must have really looked like, okay? I picture it in the desert. The Bible doesn't tell us he built it in a desert. That's where I always picture it. If it wasn't in a desert, it was probably in like a mountainous region or something like that. It certainly wasn't where a boat is supposed to be in the water. Somewhere in a piece of land, Noah built this giant boat, huge boat. I mean, from here to the, the brush. And, you know, it's got three floors. It's covered in tar and it has a big door and then he starts to fill it with animals, every kind of animal. Just, and just think about that, like a huge barn-like structure just filled with every kind of noisy, smelly animal that's eating and fighting and doing whatever else animals do, all shoved into this tiny little boat. Well, not tiny, sorry, this huge boat, but with way too many animals. And I kind of, think, kind of wonder what Noah was thinking here, you know? Like, once the animals were mostly packed in there, and he looks up at the sky and it's still sunny and clear. And he's thinking, uh-oh, how long can I keep these animals in here? You know, till somebody reports this. It starts, you know, he probably started to feel a little bit crazy. I, I mean, I don't know if his family was like on board with that, or if his friends, or if he had any friends, or anybody else, what were they thinking? Like, who is this crazy guy stashing animals in his big barn thing? Like. He's insane, right? Because at that point, for people who don't know or don't believe what God has said, it doesn't make sense to build a boat in the desert and fill it with animals. That's a point I want you to get, is your faith is truly tested when God asks you to do something that doesn't make sense. It's easy to sit in 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 this nice church here and listen to the worship and hear a message and go, yeah, I put my faith in God. But your faith in God is not tested here in church. Your faith is tested when God asks you to do something that doesn't make sense to you, like build a boat in the desert and fill it with animals. People of faith learn to trust God, learn to obey God, even when it seems crazy, even when they can't see reasons for his instructions. When they still don't know how the story is going to end, they just trust and they obey. Because faith teaches us, to trust more in what God says than in what we see. I want to tell you guys a story about my parents, Paul and Donna Schultz. Many of you guys know my parents well, um, but some of you don't, so I'll I'll tell you about them. They were a part of this church for a long time, and they are currently um, overseas in Thailand serving as missionaries over there. And I was talking to my dad recently about that, and I kind of asked him, like, how did you get there from... Being a average guy, a general contractor, a hard worker here in the States to being overseas serving as a missionary. Like how does that happen? And uh, he told me this story and I want to share part of it with you because I think it's a really good example of what it looks like to step out in obedience. In the early 90s when I was a young kid he did a lot of construction work. I said like he, built a, he built a bunch of houses, log cabins, he did that kind of thing. But at one point in 1994, he felt strongly that God was calling him to ministry. God was calling him to serve, but he had no idea what that meant. He just knew, I feel like God's telling me to change careers or whatever and and to volunteer to serve or to give my life to serve in something. But he didn't know what that meant or where that was or what he was supposed to do. So he took a step of obedience, and he enrolled at Elam Bible Institute and he started taking courses there. And because he didn't know what he was going for, or why he was there, he figured, well, going to Bible school, I should probably take pastoral classes. Maybe I'll be a pastor. So he started taking pastoral classes. In his second year, he took a class called World Christian Perspectives, which was taught by Brother Harry Velikup, who actually was here just a few weeks ago sharing with us. But um, Harry Velikup was teaching this class about missions. And my father was in that class. And as he heard that class, it, it kind of clicked for him. He thought, this is the thing that God's calling me to. And it was a burden on his heart. He said, And he refocused and said, God's calling me to missions. I can tell. I can feel it. This is where I'm supposed to be at. And as part of their homework, part of their assignment, they had to read through this book. And this book talked about the different countries in the world and the different people groups in the world. And it specifically talked about unreached people groups, people groups that live in, like, uh, faraway, distant places, where there is no Bible, or there are no missionaries, and there is no spread of the gospel. And as he's reading this book, and he's reading these different unreached people groups, it clicked. This is the thing that God has created me for. I'm being sent to one of these unreached people groups. He told me that as he was reading, he was, he was flipping through and he was saying, he was praying as he's reading. He's saying, God, will you send me to one of these unreached groups? Is there one here that you'll send me to? And then one stood out. And it was the um, it was the Uyghur people in China in central Ch- or Central Asia, and that's the moment w- or that's when God began to lay that on His heart and began to call him to that. And the rest of the story is downhill from there, as they say. Uh, but he began to he went to a conference to learn more. He met people who knew more. God confirmed it. They took a trip. Next thing you know, he moved his entire family overseas to work. Um, with the Uyghur people. And there's a lot more to that story that's, uh, I think, really interesting. There's a lot more to that story that's like remarkable. But I really want to focus on um, that first step of obedience. When he felt this sense of being called to serve, he signed up. He took a step of obedience. I don't know where this is going. I don't know what this looks like. I have no idea if I'm going to enjoy it or not, if it's going to be hard or not but I'm going to go do something. I'm going to go sign up. And then he just continued to take little steps of obedience. And he told me that between 94, when he first felt this call to ministry of some kind, until 2000, which is when our family moved overseas to work with with the Uyghurs, that he said that he volunteered, he was asked to serve in almost every way imaginable here at this church. He said that he served in the nursing ministry, nursing home ministry. He served in the jail ministry. He was a youth leader when I was a youth group member. That was weird. He served at camp. He worked in the office here. He led missions trips. He played on the worship team. He just did, he was a deacon. He did basically almost every little thing you could possibly do. And when he was telling me, he was describing this period of of his life to me, I was confused. I was like, that doesn't make sense because you began to realize that God was calling you overseas, and you realize God is calling you to this specific people, unreached people group, and now suddenly you're being tasked with all these other areas of things that are totally unrelated to the thing you're calling to, why would God put you in that? Or why would you, why would you sign up for that? That's not, it's distracting from what God's called you to do. And he explained it to me like this, and this is a really good point. He said, Callings become clarified in mundane acts of obedience. And and volunteering and doing all those little things, whether it was in the the nursing home or the jail ministry or here at the church, that prepared his heart and it clarified the voice of God in the things he was called to. Callings become clarified in mundane acts of obedience. So if you're not sure what God is calling you to, Find a step of obedience you can take. You know, I I was thinking back, that moment he described when he first felt, like, I feel like God's calling me to something. I feel like God's calling me to serve, but I don't know what it is or where it is. How many of you guys have ever felt like that? How many of you guys feel like that right now? Like, I know God wants me to serve, and I want to serve God, but I don't know where to go from here. I don't know what it's going to look like or what it is. And I'm telling you, if you're in that place, take his advice. And find a step of obedience. Find something you can do and trust that God will bring clarity. It's like it says in verse 6 there that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Of those who pursue him, he will reveal himself. Trust in him that that he's the kind of God who will do that. But this is kind of what makes obedience to God so crazy. Because we trust in a God that we cannot see, that we can't hear with our natural ears. And we obey when his instructions don't make any sense. Here's my point, though. If you want to be a person of faith, if we're going to be people of faith, we're going to have to build something that doesn't make sense. Just like Noah building a giant boat in the middle of the desert and filling with animals, at some point God's going to ask you to build something that doesn't make sense to you. And that's where you decide if you're going to be a person of faith or not. Are you going to be crazy obedient to what he has for? what he has. Let me give you an example of what I mean by that. I can remember a time um, when we were Chelsea and I were first married that we were kind of low on money. In fact, I can remember a couple of times when we were kind of low on money. Maybe you guys can relate to that season in life. But in one of those times, I had this strong sense that the Lord wanted us to give money to somebody, a lot of money, at least to where I was at life at that point. It was a lot of money. And it wasn't like Chelsea and I couldn't pay our bills. We were paying our bills, but we didn't have any extra money, really. And suddenly we felt like impressed to give a a large amount of money to somebody. And it was like, that didn't make sense. God, we're barely getting by. And we're we're serving you. You know, we, we serve the church and we serve other people. And we're just trying to work to, you know, to provide for ourselves. And now you're telling us to give that money towards somebody else? That doesn't make sense. But we decided to trust in God, to say that if God told us to do this, we're going to do it. And if we run out of money, that's okay, because he can provide for us. And so we we took that step of faith, and we obeyed. And he has been more than faithful to me and my wife and our family thus far. We have never been in a place of need. He has taken care of us every step of the way. And I think a lot of times, i tell you that story specifically because I think a lot of times God uses finances to test our obedience. But maybe for you, maybe it's not an issue of money. Maybe it's a matter of time. Maybe God's asking you to serve, just like I described, maybe to give your time to serve somebody. But that doesn't always make sense. God gave you a job. Maybe God gave you a family. Maybe you have kids that you need to feed and care for. Maybe you have a family you want to spend time with. And that's all good stuff. So why would God ask you to invest your time somewhere else when he's giving you this family. That doesn't make sense. Why would God ask you to give your time to somebody else's family or somebody else's need when you, haven't already, you have your own things to take care of? That doesn't make sense. But obedience obeys God when it doesn't make sense. I think it's time for us to start building something. I think it's time for us to start building something. And I'm not suggesting anybody go home and start building a big boat in your backyard not even suggesting that we need to buy tickets to China, to train tickets to China. I just think that we need to be a little more comfortable doing things that don't make sense to us. We need to be a little more comfortable trusting in God. when We don't understand where this is going. We don't understand why he wants us to do this or where this is going to end up. But we're going to obey those nudgings, those, those uh, move, the move on our heart, that tug on our heart. We're going to obey that. In Genesis 6, verse 22, it says that Noah obeyed the Lord, and he did according to everything that God asked him. Noah did everything the way that God asked him to do. And oh, I pray that people can say the same thing about me. I pray people look back and say, Ben did everything the Lord asked him to. Ben did it according to the way the Lord asked him to do it. I pray that's true of me. And I trust that you guys feel the same way too, that you want to obey the Lord and you want to be a person who is crazy obedient. So I want to leave you with this question. Are you ready to get crazy? Are you ready to be crazy obedient? If he asks you to do something that doesn't make sense, are you ready to do it? Are you ready to trust in him and step out? I'm going to challenge you, before I let you go, I'm going to challenge you to do that this week. Now some of you... Some of you already know what the Lord has for you to do. Maybe there's some money that he's asked you to give and you're kind of thinking about that. But you know that God's asking you to step out in faith. Maybe some of you, the Lord has asked you to serve somebody or to to volunteer. Maybe the Lord wants you to sign up for the harvest dinner. But maybe some of you are in a place that I feel like, I'm not sure exactly what he's asking me to do. And here's, I want to I I challenge you to do something crazy this week, okay? If you want to be a person of faith, you want to obey God, this is your week to do something crazy, all right? If you don't know what that is, I want to give you a suggestion that you take time every single day to get in the Word of God and to get before God. Give Him some time. Give Him some extra time. Give Him a crazy amount of time. And I guess when I mean crazy, I mean like, Set your alarm clock for earlier and get up out of bed earlier in the morning than you want to. That's crazy, right? Um, or maybe turn your phone off. Turn your TV off. It's crazy. And give God some space and some time and find out what it is he's called us to. Amen? Let me pray for you guys. Lord, we thank you for your word um, and for the story of Noah and the way that it challenges us. We just invite you to speak to us and do our hearts and our situations through it today. Lord, I pray for your blessing and your help upon us as, uh, as we go this week. Uh, we want to be a people of faith. We want to be a people who are o- obedient. So I pray that you would help us and you would lead us in that. We thank you, Lord, for that. Also pray that you'd be with Pastor Chris and Karen as they're away this weekend. I pray that your mercy and your blessing and your grace would be upon them, Lord, um, until they're back with us. In your name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. You guys are released. Have a good day.